Tree 4.0 community. Welcome to this week's live stream. Um, good to see you all in the chat. Welcome everybody. Let me know where you guys are joining from today. Hey, Benjamin. Hey, Mario. <laughs> Dan, Dan, welcome. Uh, and hey, jo Johan and Michael Daldell from Quaderno. Good to see you all here. Uh, so today we're going to be um, going right into it. Basically, I've got a um, some up some updates, some industry news, um, and then the bulk of today's session is going to be doing live development. I did uh, I did run into some issues last week with the uh, the running a Windows 11 VM on Apple Silicon architecture, and I was actually talking with Walker today. He sort of thinks it's a mistake that uh, Apple's like deviating from the Intel architecture um, because that's going to give them basically no chance. Uh, to really have like compute in industry. So definitely a bit of a interesting move there. But um, yeah, you know, Apple has less than 1% of like industrial compute. So, you know, Windows servers are the majority of what we're running our applications on. And that's actually what I have set up as a, as a virtual machine. So, hey, Jeff, how's it going? Good to see you. Welcome Penn College. All right, let me go ahead and share my screen here. I'm going to go ahead and share the one note. Oh, allow. Okay. Unable to share screen. Uh, please update system permissions. What happened? That's weird. Should be able to share my screen here. Yeah, Alan, you're in. Alan's in the backstage. Hey, Richard. Yeah, so let me see if I can share this screen. All right, so I have to go update my system permissions. I don't know what actually got messed up here, but um, all right, bear with me, guys. Hmm, sharing, screen sharing. Okay, cool, screen sharing. All right, let me try that. All right, so, <laughs> all right. This was totally working last week. <laughs> All right. So how do I enable? Let me look it up real quick. Enable screen sharing on Chrome. Bear with me, guys. How are you guys doing? Uh, welcome, Liam. Okay. So I need to go to security and privacy screen recording. Okay. Now it's enabled. This is so weird, guys. All right, so accessibility, full disk access, files. I would hate to have keep my kitchen clean for videos. <laughs> I actually like cleaning my kitchen. <laughs> it's pretty satisfying. Um, we just uh, just sort of minimalized everything. Um, I would it would be nice to have upper cabinets there. Hey, Harry. Um, so sorry, guys. I'm I'm having trouble with this. Um, with my Chrome extension, I don't know why it's not sharing. Um, it's working last week and, and this morning actually. So um, trying to just figure that out real quick. Um, hopefully I don't have to like leave and then come back because then I don't know what the stream would do, but um, let's see. Why does it say, so if I share a window, all right, Alan said he had to leave and come back. Why? Restream, you're giving us issues today. <laughs> All right. Um, hey, everyone. Hey, Darius. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, let me just go over what the uh, updates are real quick. Um, so today's sponsor is our Digital Factory Mastermind program. Maybe as you maybe if you open Chrome as an admin. See, I don't know why. It should be an admin. So, um, golly. What do you guys think of the Industry 5.0 video? I'm surprised that one actually got a little bit of a uh, traction and views. Hey, Cheryl. We might have to, uh, <laughs> we might have to call this live stream short today. I don't know. We'll see um, if I can get it to work or not. But um, yeah, the industry 5.0 video 
This is a bit of a deviation from our normal content. You know, it's a little bit... I don't know. It's sort of like uh, not... It's 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 sort of like you have to open your mind up a little bit to it to understand like all right hey you know this is where things are headed if things are headed this way what kind of what kind of issues could we per, uh, what kind of issues could we um, anticipate <laughs> right um, so thanks Harry insightful all right restream not sharing window. No kickback from Walker on industry 5.0 as a buzzword. I don't know. Um, I don't I don't think so. We'll see what he says. Walker is going to be back next week. So we have Luke Small, uh, Luke Small with Chakra on, on the podcast next week on 118. Walker will be back. Um, Walker's actually been out. I went back and looked on the live Q&As. He's been out since 1019 um, outside of the Sandy Monroe interview and the Rick Bellotta interview. 1019 was the last live Q&A that he was on. So almost... Almost uh, three months, so I'm sure he'll tell you all about it. Um, Mario said he hasn't watched Industry 5.0 yet, but I did see the beginning, and it was surprised actually in a good way. It used to be a joke, and now it's becoming a set of ideas. Yeah, I think it's it, it really has sort of matured and becoming more of a thing this year. Um, Michael Dowdell, I am more interested in the tools and what we can do with them, kind of like a gun, can be used for good or bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, Guys, I'm actually like, I don't want to make this like a politi political uh, thing, but it sort of does. It's sort of tangential in the sense that I'm a pretty conservative guy. So for me to say all those things that I said was pretty difficult, actually, you know, um, like we we did do like a new a new server, uh, a new channel in the discord server called Industry Industry 5.0. And, you know, there was comments in there like, you know, hey, you know, I, I don't think anyone should just get paid a universal basic income for not doing anything or for just existing. And in a lot of ways, I sort of agree. Right. You know, it could cause a set of problems onto its uh, on its own. Uh, right. Like, so, you know, <laughs> what like socialism has failed every time we've <laughs> experimented. it. So, um, you know, capitalism sort of does have its ways of working, but uh alan ramsey said the law of unattended consequences <laughs> um yeah i think we should focus more on getting 4.0 to work that's what uh that's what david schultz said he's like can we at least get rid of clipboards and spreadsheets first um is one of the takeaways of the industry 5.0 video was in order for that to actually be a reality 4.0 has to work if you don't have 4.0 like firing on all cylinders or um you know i guess that that uh analogy is going to go away as we start becoming more electric electrified so if you don't have industry 4.0 uh you know revolving on all electric motors on all wheels then it's not gonna 5.0 is not gonna happen you know it's not it's not possible we need to create an abundance of resources and profit in order to uh like luke small said have corporate feudalism Right. Corporations are going to be the new governments. Well, you know, maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe that's a good thing it has pros and cons. But, you know, the government has proven it's an ineffective uh, allocator of capital resources. And what is a company? What is an investor or a capitalist? It's just effective allocation of capital resources. So the best companies will, you know, in theory, make the best governments. Not because they have to, but because they want to. And it's in their best interest, you know. Um, uh, industry news. Let me share the industry news. Excel is an accounting tool. You can quote me on that. <laughs> Dan. All right. So, uh, let me just share the industry news cause it's actually pretty interesting. And thank you for everyone who's sharing news in the industry news section of the discord. Uh, number one on, a, on my list was copy automation raises $16.4 million. Um, there we have Alan. Hey Alan. I don't know if you can hear me. I can hear you. I can hear okay, you. Okay, great. Can you can you hear you? Though that's the question. I can. <laughs> Do you exist? Technology is great as long as it works. I can tell you that. Yeah. Quote me on that. We've become sentient on this podcast. No, so copy automation raises 16.4 million. That's a lot of money. <laughs> or or maybe it's not. 
I don't know. Uh, I guess more companies are getting bigger and bigger rounds these years. Um, you know, but uh, you know, last week's news: Highbyte raised three point five million. Copy Automation raises sixteen point four. So you know, almost like a four, more than a four x factor bigger to kind of put it in perspective uh, to bring DevOps efficiencies to industrial automation. Not you know, not to compare Copia to Highbyte in any way. Um, you know, they're both automation, industrial automation tools, but one is for DevOps, one is for industrial data ops. You definitely need both. DevOps is when you're developing PLC code, that's really uh, Copia Automation's niche, is if you're developing PLC code, and like, you know, the company we were meeting with last month, right? They have all of these different sites, all of these different facilities. They are going through major acquisitions. How do you manage, how do you effectively manage your PLC code at scale across all of those facilities? Many different developers trying to develop the wheel, you know, redevelop the same wheel. Um, you know, you can create libraries, but it's useful to have a de DevOps tool like Copia to be able to, and this is not sponsored by Copia, but, um, you know, it's just industry news. Thank you, Mario, uh, Mario Ishigawa, by the way, for how do you spell Copia? It is uh, Copia.io. And Copia Matt is in our Discord. So if you have any uh, questions or you want to try it, reach out to him. Let him know you came from us. Um, yeah, thank you, Mario Ishigawa, for sharing this. And there's a link I'll I'll share um, if I can get my screen. I don't know if I'm going to get my screen share to work right now because I might have to like close it and stuff. So I'll just kind of go over what I was going to talk about. And then we may, we may call it a little short today. But... Um, so yeah, Copy Automation raises 16.4 million. Congratulations, that's that's awesome. Uh, it's good to see more developer tools for industrial automation. I think that's going to help us, like Michael Daldell said, you know, actually implement Industry 4.0, right? Um, you know, there's a fair bit of modeling that you need to do on the edge, right? In the PLC code, formatting your formatting consistent data structures and your PLC all the way down to the edge in the PLC code, right? Um, you know, Highbyte can do some of your, uh, Highbyte can model what's not modeled in the edge, but, you know, Highbyte can't, Highbyte can't manage your PLC code. You know, it can only account for differences in the PLC code. So, um, another article shared why Tesla soared as other automatic automakers struggle to make cars. This one was shared by Luke Small. Uh, pretty interesting. Let me just kind of share um, a little bit about it. So basically it boils down to now it's becoming clear that the company simply had a superior command of technology and its own supply chain. Um, the performance is a stark turnaround from 2018 when Tesla's production and supply chain problems made it an industry laughing stock. Um, you know, many companies snafu tempt, uh, stemmed from Mr. Musk's in insistence that the company made many parts itself. Other car companies have realized that they need to do some of what Mr. Musk and Tesla have been doing all along and are in process of taking control of their onboard computer systems. Uh, Mercedes, for example, plans to use fewer specialized chips in coming models in more standardized semiconductors and writing its own software, um, said Marcus Schaefer. This is in a New York Times article that um, Luke shared in the industry news. Uh, but it's pretty interesting. Um, you know, last week we talked about how they hit record production. And um, yeah, Tesla's just soaring to the moon right now. So thanks, Luke, for sharing that article. And then the third piece of news, this one was shared by Cheryl McCrary. Uh, this one's pretty interesting. So Rivian's chief operating Rivian's chief operating officer departed amid production ramp up. This one's from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, the electric truck maker produced more than a thousand vehicles in 2021 in, in line with its lowered expectations. Um, and the chief operating officer uh, left the company last month as startup, as the production was ramping uh, of its first three models, um, R1T, the truck model, and they just started releasing the R1S. I think the CEO and the CFO got the first two R1Ss off the line. Um, yeah, so Rod Copps retired from Rivian in December. The spokeswoman confirmed Monday. Mr. Copps' retirement was planned for months, she said, and his duties have been absorbed by the leadership team. As of Monday afternoon, Mr. Copps was still identified on Rivian's website as the chief, as the company's operations chief. So it looks like they haven't necessarily replaced him yet. But um, 
the the most interesting art the most interesting line in this article is um cheryl pointed out the very last line um so other companies are close to bringing electric pickup trucks to market winnowing the first mover advantage of Rivian's R1T pickup truck, which began sales in September and is only the, is the only electric pickup truck available on the U.S. market. Ford plans to begin sales of an electric vehicle, its F-150, this spring. And GM last week revealed a new electric version of the Silverado pickup to debut in 2023. The valuation of Ford and GM have both overtaken that of Rivian. So... That was pretty interesting. Thanks again, Cheryl, for sharing that. Uh, Michael Daldell said, we should have the discussion about architectures, ARM versus x86. ARM is growing and Apple Silicon is an ARM implementation. Will be interesting and we are finding that we need to support both. ARM is cheaper. Um, I, I mean, outside of the VM issue, I love this new Mac with uh, M1, this M1 Max, not the Pro, the more expensive one, but the M1, M1, yeah, M1, no. There's Max and Pro, I think, I forget which, I have the lesser expensive one, but it's the 16 inch Apple Silicon. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing, right? So there was like a chart that showed like x86 um, architecture improvements, like with the 64 bit Intel processors. And it's sort of like, it reached an inflection point where ARM was lower in the beginning, but it sort of has caught up and surpassed it in terms of like, especially efficiency. Um, easier to get into lower value applications with the arm. Yeah. Like another, another company, um, um, easy VPN, the IO hub, IO hub OS they're, you know, from customer requests supporting arm, uh, on the edge. Um, so yeah. How are you doing today, Alan? Life is good. I was uh, just wanted to echo what you said regarding Tesla. In fact, there was a great article in uh, or a summation article in LinkedIn that I sent you the link to uh, privately that basically espouse about how Tesla's vertical integration and their adaptability. In fact, with regards to the chipset specifically, the chip shortage, they actually got a workaround in place by adapting their software that they used to work with the chips that they had already available. So that's basically uh working around the chip shortage so that just a testament to their uh, adaptability and on top of their prowess of technological capability rather yeah uh michael daldo pointed out there's a great video by cold fusion uh love that channel on arm architecture and mm -hmm. uh yeah it's 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 pretty interesting i definitely would recommend watching that um and iohub does not support arm yet they're going to they're they're going to be supporting arm due to popular demand. Mario said, uh, Silverado surprised with total new and exclusive body with benefits making hood part shorter, shorter and cab longer since there is nothing in there in the front anyway. Interesting. That's good that they, you know, are not just slapping an electric motor in an existing body. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the things that like people are surprised when they see the R1T first. It's pretty small. Like it's a pretty small truck, you know, so you get the functionality of a truck, but without the, you know, driving around like a big F-250 or something like. So, you know, it could be a pretty good little grocery getter or adventure vehicle. That was what uh, Rivian's like mission is, is to like m make life adventurous forever or something like that. <laughs> yeah, so Rivian is uh, trading at, oh, they're up today, four and a half, four and a half percent at $85. Um, that's puts them at a market cap of around 76 billion. So, um, yeah, interest is still the, the spotlight is on Rivian, right? What they do this year, whether they hit 2000 vehicles this year or whether they hit 20, um, you know, if they can hit that exponential ramp phase, um, you know, probably maybe not the smartest move to try to ramp three vehicles, three new vehicles at the same time. So we'll see how that goes. But, um, yeah, ramping one by itself is is more than enough. But um, you know, Tesla is Tesla is bringing on two new gigafactories. Uh, Rivian announced they're having a new factory, I think, in uh, Atlanta, like somewhere in the Georgia area. So that's like a five billion dollar investment. Um, so you know, it's good to see good to see them growing. 
Oh, I want to respond to a comment that came in last week on the industry 5.0 video. Actually, let me just pull it up. So sort of like relates to like, um, if you guys have ever seen, uh, Simon Sinek, like start with why, uh, let me know if you guys have seen, seen that like speech or his Ted talk. Um, so Weldopedia said, <laughs> it's a little bit of a troll, but he's like, there is no 3.0, 4.0, 5.0, 6.0. It's just competition. Only Sims need a label. <laughs> Uh, you're either ahead or behind of your competitors. Keep it simple. And he told me to benchmark the audio. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, I guess the music was a little loud. Um, I said, again, I'll point to Tesla. They don't have competitors. They are playing their own game. They're playing the infinite game, right? And winning. If Tesla, so like, think about it. If Rivian creates an electric vehicle, Tesla wins because Tesla's mission was to accelerate the advent of the electric vehicle. So Rivian is more of a collaborator they're more of an ally in, in Tesla's mission. If, if Rivian doesn't create an electric vehicle, then that's also okay for Tesla too, because then Tesla can sell more vehicles, but they really don't have a competitor, right? Cause they're playing their own game. And I think that's a concept that, uh, Sims like Weldopedia <laughs> can't quite wrap their head around cause they're stuck in this, you know, com competition mindset, you know, he said There's again, huh? There's an old economics term, Zach, that relates to what you're saying. And it's called a high tide raises all ships. And mm. so Tesla has essentially raised the tide and a lot of other ships, quote unquote, Rivian, et cetera, are benefiting from their uh, wake, so to speak. Mario said, Alan, do you know anything about DIN 91406? Oh, digital. Um, I, I would admit that I'm not an expert on that. So I will take uh, any counsel that you might be able to provide uh, uh, tattoo or your, let's see here. My issue. And uh, Mario said, Michael Dow Dowdell, I agree about arm. It will be bigger and bigger, especially on cloud and non on non on premise it environments. First AWS is showing great results on Grav Graviton. Um, yeah, Weldopedia replied again, huh? Tesla doesn't have competitors, question mark. I guess Ford, Rivian, GM, Lucid, VW, Porsche, and so on have all been lying. And by the way, how is Tesla winning? <laughs> um, I don't know if you saw their production numbers last month, but uh, for Q4, but I don't know. Objectively, objectively, they're winning and subjectively, they're winning on their mission, right? Like we said, the rising tide raises all ships. Most people won't touch a Tesla because of the quality issues. Um, uh, you know, I guess a million people who purchased it last year are wrong then. <laughs> um, most, I guess, yeah, most people, um, you know, we say all the time that the quality issues prove that people aren't, aren't interested in, um, you know, perfecting in a, a legacy process, perfecting the ICE vehicle. They'd rather have a newer technology and accept some of the quality issues, which they can fix by the way. Like if you have panel gaps, they can take it in and and get it serviced michael dowdell said according to bari and <laughs> gm is leaning according to according to biden <laughs> uh michelle or mary barra is uh leading the way gm is delusional as usual i mean i guess like they forgot they crushed the ev1 right the ev1 was like the first electric vehicle but they literally crushed it and stopped it and it was it was a reactionary thing that they're doing this now because tesla has proven that the model works but if if gm had any leadership or vision back in the day they could have went ev1 ev2 ev3 like they could have just continued to make the car better and better um but there was like political and <laughs> incentives to not do that um sandy monroe pointed out that the quality dramatically increased once they made it through the production ramp ups yeah, you either want the first ones off the line or once production is ramped and stabilized. But during the ramping process, uh, it could be sort of chaotic. <clears throat> There's an old manufacturing euphemism, and it's per ISO 9000 as well, but it, it relates to both. And that's regards to that the comment that John made about Sandy's comment. Quality cannot be inspected into a process or product. So just, just FYI. So absolutely. Say that, so so say that again? Quality cannot be inspected into a product or process. 
So it has to be ingrained in the process inherent to it. So that's a very good point that Sandy makes and it's worth repeating. So along those lines. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think <clears throat> having less parts makes achieving quality, like having simpler parts and less parts makes quality easier. Like think about how many little things could break on a, you know, like just all the components on your dash, right? Like I have like, you know, those little, um, where you adjust the air. Well, I actually sold my, my RAV4, but like I had like those air vents that, you know, you would, if you like attached a cell phone holder to it, it might break or, you know, they just, yeah. or all the buttons, all those different points of failure. Tesla just has one screen, right? So it's like, and all the vents are, um, controlled via the screen. So there's really not anything to break or fit in, you know, um, yeah. So, yeah. uh, Peter said the Tesla is the most sold EV brand car brand in Norway. I thought it was the, there was a one country that it was the most popular car, like in, in October or something like of any car that the model three was, but, um, he said Tesla's the most bought, sold EV brand in, in Norway. I see one in every driveway at the place I currently live. Well, you must live in a pretty nice place, Peter. Um, yeah, so anyways, those are some pretty good comments. Um, Peter said, great video, Zach. You always find very interesting topics to ponder about. Appreciate it a lot. Um, new update. Um, we did just finish module five for uh, mentorship and our enterprise training program. So... This is sort of wrapping up the non-technical portion. The, the first five modules, module one, module two, module three, module four, module five, in case you didn't know how to count. Uh, module five is like, how do you, how do you get started? If you're, if you're an executive, how does IIoT apply to you? What should you be thinking about? If you are in operations, if you're in quality, if you're in engineering and maintenance. So it's about a one hour less lecture. And it goes into detail on each one of those. Uh, it's actually the five, same five core groups that we meet with when we're doing a DTMA. Um, like, you know, once you wrap up, once you kind of wrap your head around IIoT and Industry 4.0 and digital transformation, you've gone through all the technical training or uh, excuse me, the non-technical training, which everyone in the company could benefit from. What project should you start with, right? Where should you start? Um, and then there's the technical portion, which includes the practical application and, um, you know, mastermind training, right. Actually being, um, you know, a leader of the digital transformation initiative, everyone in the company is involved. So everyone in the company should go through the non-technical portion, even, even in your customer service reps or sales and marketing, right. It, it benefits the whole company. That's why we developed the enterprise training program. Um, but then, yeah, the, the technical folks can go through the, you know, they could still go through the non-technical. It's, it's beneficial. Uh, so everyone has like the same base understanding. And then the technical portion dives deeper. Uh, those are for, you know, your developers, uh, controls, engineers, you know, and then directors, directors of operation, you know, CIO, et cetera. Uh, Michael Dado said Tesla is about incremental improvement and their architectures manufacturing and technology or tech technological are designed to facilitate it it's it's because of their ecosystem they, they build their ecosystem in a uh, like an open format they actually they automated the process of management so if you're a tesla engineer you're largely self-managed and every every person has like just essentially a KPI, right? What does a manager typically do? They say, you know, they review your work and they say, oh, this is good or, oh, this is bad. In Tesla, they've automated that process to a simple KPI. So you can tell, hey, you know, um, and a lot of times it just boils down to like cost and revenue, balancing those two, right? So if they can make a change on the production line and they see that that change is good, then they can, they can roll it out essentially immediately and make changes every three hours. So they've sort of um, automated the managing process so people could become self-managed and innovate without, you know, without restraint. So rather than, you know, if you had a manager that didn't talk to you for like three months, six months, right, you would become disengaged. <laughs> so um, to have to have that self-management process to, to get immediate feedback, real-time feedback, 
of of what you're doing how is it impacting the comp the profitability of the company this you know uh your whatever your kpis are in your department then you can just sort of innovate freely um yeah it's pretty sick what are you guys thinking about getting for your next vehicle what do you guys drive right now and what are you thinking about getting what do you drive, Alan? Volvo? <laughs> He's joking because that was my former employer before joining 4.0. So while you Volvo didn't makes bring, the, bring home with, bring work home with you. The Swedes make a phenomenal vehicle, and uh, I was actually in their road tractor uh, d division, so made the uh, the uh, 770s and such uh, road tractors. But I actually drive, and 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 you're going to laugh at this, but I actually drive a 23 year old truck made by Toyota and a 22-year-old uh, Lexus ES, so big mm. fan of the Toyota production manufacturing system, so can attest to their 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 durability. Yeah, I, I drove an Avalon as like my first vehicle. It was like a 2002, yeah. oh yeah, and uh, <laughs> like my parents bought it new, and then I, you know, I took it over when I started driving, like, you know, when I was like eight or 10 years old, and then not when I was, when the car was <laughs> eight or 10 years old. Um, and then, uh, most recently I had, I was driving like a Toyota RAV4 2011. Mm -hmm. Um, and I put, I took that thing from like 130,000 miles to like 190. And then I just recently sold it. That's, I was surprised how much I got for it. I sold it for like $7,200 with no, close to 200,000 miles, a 10 year old car with close to 200,000 miles. I sold it for like 7,200 bucks. Used car so, prices are up nearly 40% over the last year, thanks to the global chip shortage. So I would like, yeah, I was looking at selling it like a year prior and it was like, I would have been lucky to get like 4,500 or 5,000 for it. So yeah. that those numbers check out. So <laughs> it was just getting broke in with the 190,000 miles. So I know, right. I could have, I could have continued to drive that into the ground, but uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really need a car like right now. I don't have a car. So, you know, enjoying that while it lasts. So Salt Lake has some good public transport transportation, right? Pub public transportation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and living downtown helps working from home helps. Yeah. Um, and then also having a girlfriend that has a car just in case they need it. <laughs> it's super nice too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cheryl, Cheryl said, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Cheryl said a good manager helps remove obstacles to his team's success. Same as the RT visibility, real-time visibility into operations info that each person needs. Mm. I guess in a lot of ways, that's sort of what we do too with our, our media. We can get instant feedback of whether we created good content or whether we created shit content. <laughs> yeah, we try to, we try to do more good content than shit content. Sorry about today's live stream, though, uh, with it not being able to share. I, I'm definitely going to fix that. I'm not sure what happened. Um, yeah, it was probably the Windows 11 ARM v VM that I tried installing. <laughs> Maybe it reset my Chrome settings or something. Rough. Um, Mario Shadin, 90, 91406 is a digital embark on machinery like QR code. And when you scan it, we get all the history of maintenance and various information on your tab. The same is connected to ERP uh, to maintain data. That's an interesting standard. I have to look that up. Um, yeah. Do you see same type of digitalization in any industry in USA? It's now being implemented at BASF in Germany. Interesting. I know if RFID tags, static, uh, uh, non-powered, rather, RFID tags have been utilized to some extent with asset management in, in the places that I've seen uh state side Mar do you do you work for basf and um what software stack are you using to integrate this technology to the erp william said any small business owners here uh use any type of open source erp dolabar udu community um william i know um dave schultz has used udu Uh, in Telic, we, we use uh, our sister, you know, integration arm. They're using Ignition as their ERP connected into QuickBooks. 
Michael Dowdell said, we are migrating to Udu. Odu. No, I'm doing a master's in Germany. Oh, nice. Awesome, Maros. I sort of feel a little in, uh, a little incompetent that I haven't been able to figure out why I can't share my my screen because I don't know, I feel like I should be able to fit but I, I went to security and privacy and I and I it, the the box is checked for screen sharing for for Chrome so I don't know what I don't know what this is You ever run into that issue? Can you share, Alan? I was just looking at that. I've got a red stripe down my uh, my screen share, but I'm going to try. Bear with me. Well, I would. Let's see what happens. Tell me if you can see my screen. I can. All right. Technology's working. It's great when it does. So this was uh, just a uh, slide that I pulled up whenever we were talking about Tesla being uh, innovative and following continuous improvement methodologies. And I was just going to pull up this slide, uh, courtesy of our friends from Toyota. So just uh, suffice to say, I believe that screen share can work. It's just a matter of <laughs> a matter of uh, crossing our fingers sometimes, I guess. So anyway, just wanted to pull that up. So nice. No, yeah, yeah perfect. That makes me I'm not sure if that makes me feel better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> You are um, using a Mac. You are using a Mac. Yeah, and it worked last week. And so I don't know what the issue is, but uh, Michael Dowdell said RFID on tooling for presses is a great application. Yeah, I agree. One of the tools that we used it for was trailer management, a large trailer lot RFID tags for managing thousands upon thousands of 53 foot dry van trailers for management of inventory and influx so for logistics purposes so at a previous place where i was at so yeah i i couldn't imagine like going sifting through all that data by hand i guess that's what they used to do though right yeah reams and reams of data was the term used many years ago when i was uh, starting out so reams of it like reams of paper precisely Precisely. <laughs> what OS, Alan? What, yeah, what OS are you using? Operating Windows? system. I, I am on Windows 10. I am uh, hesitant about Windows 11, though. Still, still Honestly, until last it. week, I didn't even, I didn't know that was a thing yet. So you mentioned that. So shame <laughs> on you. Bill <laughs> Gates is them. Bill Gates is crying somewhere. Uh, John Malando said, "What what is the RFID on the tooling used for exactly? We've got tons of dyes where I work." Well, I wasn't necessarily saying die, say, for instance, used in equipment, but uh, standalone pieces of equipment for inventory management purposes, asset management um, that can be traced back to uh, CMMS systems, for instance, uh, computerized maintenance management systems such as IBM Maximo or other CMMS tools out there. I was just thinking of static type uh, tools used in a process, not necessarily tool and die. So I'm going to try something. I'm gonna try to join on. Uh, I'm gonna try to join this same stream on on a Safari tab and see if that works. But um, so like, imagine if you had. Oh, now I might really fuck things up. Is that a imagine if you had like a bunch of dies, right? And you used RFID tags on the dies. Whoa. <laughs> you're you're multiplying. All right, hold on, hold on. All right. No. So, I will answer John's question real quick regarding other options. Asset etched uh, bar tags, maybe not necessarily QR codes, but but asset etched type barcode type uh, on dies I've seen used for high temperature dies and extrusion processes and pultrusion processes. John, to your point. Zach, I can't hear you now, and now I'm alone. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I. It, it might have worked, but because like this one's set up as a host, I think if I, 
I would have had to like leave from here and then that would have just like potentially dropped Zach, everything. So Zach, I think I like the pixelated version of you better. <laughs> you're, you're coming in very fuzzy. I like that. That's kidding. <laughs> Um, yeah, so imagine if you have the RFID tags on the dies and then you scan them when you load them into the machine. So then that way the machine knows what die is actually using. And then, like you said, you can tie that back into CMMS. So if every so often this die needs to be replaced or serviced, mm. um, if you're having quality issues, you can sort of see what die was used and when, um, as opposed to like either manually keying that information in or just not even knowing, right? Um, yeah, precisely. And, yeah, because like otherwise, how are you going to know? I mean, unless you're using like some sort of camera, there's not necessarily going to be like a sensor that knows what die is in and when, right? Precisely. And that's what I was alluding to, the barcode scanning. Uh, pre this is not QR code, mind you, just traditional barcodes that's been acid etched onto the die just for maintainability. Because a lot of these dyes that I've been in processes have been associated with have been high temperature processes where any sort of marking on there would be basically destroyed because of the process itself is inherently uh, high temperature, caustic, or et cetera. So hmm. just maintainability is the big key there and also traceability. So, Okay, interesting. So they were like it was etched into the metal? Yeah, acid etched or um, I, I, there's not, it may have been laser etched nowadays, but used to it would be what was referred to as acid etching with basically just uh, an overlay. And it's basically just applied with, a, 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 I think it's hydrochloric acid maybe. Uh, and then it would be just basically etched on. But now I believe like a, it would be laser etched. Two, like a 2D barcode? Or mm -hmm. like a 2D. Okay. I like QR codes. I like the 3D. Or I guess Got it's it. still 2D. But yeah, sort of. Why do they call it a 2D barcode when it's really 1D? Well, X and Y is 2D. Yeah, but the, it's the same. It only has information encoded <laughs> into one direction. Right? You, like a, like, you know, Semantics. the barcode. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm saying QR code is 3D and I'm like, wait, no. Well, sort of, but. <laughs> That's beyond my um, expertise. Johan says, "Do we do we do RTLS live tracking on tooling?" Ooh, Interesting. Explain explain more. What's RTLS? I've heard that before, and I can't remember. RTLS, real time, just Duras technology. What? Real-time Real locating, locating system. Okay. Nice. And how do you do that, Johan? Do you do like the the 2D barcodes uh, etched into it, or is it RFID? Um, you know, you scan it. Does it automatically get scanned in, or do you have the operator scan it when you do a tool change over? And what what kind of um, what kind of things do you manufacture? I want to. I think I want to redo the live stream later this week and and get to actually what I wanted to get to, which was the development part. Especially because the next three weeks we have, um, you know, interviews. Or maybe I'll do it on this Friday's mentorship call. Sounds good. Well, yeah, we've got lots of content to get to. Um, but yeah, I want to do like build an application like maybe um like a crm or some simple application that can get your hands like it could be you know sort of uh you could tweak it and apply it to whatever process or app you wanted to build but something that would sort of be usable downloadable helps get you started get your feet wet um is that would that would that be cool alan I think that would be fantastic. It would be a good teaching aid, but as well, maybe you can build upon it, have beta, alpha testing, et cetera, and maybe just build on it later on into further teaching moments, I should say. Yeah. A living document, so to speak. Yeah. What would you write it in? 
Um, you know, probably like MySQL and Python. Okay. And build it in an ignition. But have the back end be sort of um open so you could build, you know, what you could connect to it with whatever, open source the code. One D is a regular barcode, two D is QR code. Okay, yeah. So th that makes sense. Yeah. Iteration. So it is okay. a one D barcode. And maybe you're like a 3D barcode would be like your face, your facial recognition. <laughs> uh, unless you have tooling with stamp. All right. So uh, unless you have tooling with stamp counters in it. Interesting. John Monaldo said home automation dashboard to show temperature and state of other sensors and events within the house. Mm, I kind of want to build something that has like more i mean that's cool but like i want to build something that's more uh usable and more teachable like um you know showing you know visualization and trending is pretty basic um you know if you, if you just go through like um the inductive core um or no the uh, inductive university or you know you'll learn how to do all that kind of stuff but like actually building like building out an erd entity relationship diagram figuring out, okay, what, what elements do we want to track? How are we going to write these scripts? What, what UI features do we want to be able to interact with it? Maybe even build something that's pretty dynamic and flexible. So like it could sort of be a front end applied to any back end, some sort of, um, not like, not like rebuilding SQL server studio inside of ignition, but like, you know, building something that you could sort of model take it to a plant model model what what you have and sort of like import and get things get things loaded in and get get things going build a 3d lumber yard in unity 3d and then, have a, and then build an mes on top of it and then have odoo for erp sounds like a group project yeah i i gotta get i gotta get cut my teeth as an industry 4.0 developer before i become an industry 5.0 developer Wireless tracking tags, nice. Johan said. Yeah, I think that's the move. All right, Alan, if you were if you were a director of manufacturing and you were manufacturing widgets and you were like an industry 3.0 company, what's the first thing you would do? Like, where would you start? I'd find out where all the Excel spreadsheets are for the data if it's being dumped from the ERP system. Because <laughs> okay. that's a 3.0. 3.0, yeah, we're utilizing basically just the, you got to remember that the lineage of industry 3.0 to 4.0, 3.0 is essentially the automation of the industrial aspect of a business operation. So if you look at the full stack, as you are keenly aware, Zach, we're looking at the, integrating the, the, the edge area. So say, for instance, just the PLCs and the SCADA and the MES portion. So during my career, I have seen a huge change in how manufacturing is performed in just that area there because i came up in the 3.0 era and uh so my training tells me that you to your question <laughs> it's going to be spreadsheet driven uh it's it, it pretty much in a lot of the processes that i've seen you can have a ignition skater running still as well as have a, a a phenomenal mes whether it's ignition based or or whatever and a sql server database but a lot of times your engineers and your manufacturing techs are downloading data and running spreadsheets and then sending emails with spreadsheets. So that's management by spreadsheet, so to speak. So that's my spiel. Okay. So did start with digitalization and then visualization of those manual Excel spreadsheets into like a dashboard or. Yeah, exactly. And, and so visual factory is a term a lot of people use, and that's basically where you have stand up meetings a lot of times and whether it's paper charts or whether it's uh, electronic dashboards, IOBEA type rooms where you have electronic IOBEA type charts in there from different sites. It's, it's, it's a matter of what technologies you have available and the amount of money that you have to throw at these problems, whatever your manufacturing problem is with industry 3.0 limitations versus 4.0 uh, expansive limitations. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, um, real quick. I wanted to note, um, that, uh, 
the difference so the reason why copia's automation funding round was 14.2 million is because it's actually a series a that is building on their existing 2.2 million in seed so that makes a little more sense why it's so much larger um they're a little bit like maybe one step ahead in their growth phase compared as compared to like high bite so uh you know it'd be interesting to see what high bite raises for their series a but again it's not all about series funding oh you know i i saw this on linkedin you know and nothing against copia or high bite you know i think it's awesome that they're growing but like as a consumer we don't really care how much money they raise right as a consumer and the user of their products we care about what's that money actually going to right like how is the product going to get better which i know that it will but you know i think that's sort of like a dated marketing approach is like you know just valuing companies based on how much money they can raise like but what what are the, what is it actually going to go to you know um aside from just growth right and hiring more people right uh, we want the product to get significantly better and get better after we buy it right mm. So traditional software developers, Adam Gluck, the Copia CEO said, traditional software developers have experienced a significant improvement in efficiency and speed of innovation by embracing DevOps practices. Controls and automation engineers have not seen the same gains due to the constant constraints of their specialized tool sets. Um, Copia's product offers, enables robust Git-based source control with direct support for PLC programming environments of Siemens, Rockwell, Automation, and CodeSys. Are they, I wonder if they're working on a um, PLC next uh, engineer environment. Oh, any, anyways, did you guys see on LinkedIn? Um, speaking of PLC next, uh, Ira, Ira Sharp, their you know chief um, product managing officer. Their goal, like he did a TikTok, and their goal was like raising forty percent, like forty percent growth in twenty twenty one for PLC next, and they hit four hundred percent growth. So, yeah, it's a pretty funny little TikTok, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's exciting to see, uh, you know, these 4.0 platforms becoming more widely adopted rather than just specking the same old, you know, same old, same old that inevitably is not compliant with the technology, right? So, and that's, and that's not easy, right? Like if you become familiar with one platform and one piece of software, it's not easy to, you know, pick up a new platform and learn. Um, you know, it requires stepping outside of your comfort zone a little bit. And so it's exciting to see so many people, you know, try something new. Maybe there are no, more, more newcomers to the market and, um, yeah, it's exciting. Lee Taylor said self-configuring HMI example, or e.g. use the HMI to select the asset components and then automatically represent on screen. Hmm. Link PLC code to control the assets you select using standard control code per asset. I've seen a lot of um, distributors build sort of like for specific applications, like uh, this one that was in Houston, like there was Siemens distributor. They built like this little well package that was like control, you know, HMI cabinet, and then you sort of did self-configuring, like so you could just say what inputs were where. And then you, you can land the wires and then sort of have a dynamic little application, which is pretty cool. Hmm. Does that make sense? It's basically a vanilla item lot where there's a fixed price and then it's basically you can adapt it to whatever your process cap needs are, it sounds like. so. Yeah. And like you just configure, it's like you're almost configuring it in the HMI versus actually having to program it. So they've programmed all the functionality that a particular well oil and gas application would need. And then you sort of, all right, so, you know, you configure the IOs, you configure, all right, how many pumps does this have? How many motors? Okay. And then it instantiates those instances for you or enables that part of the code. Gotcha. Makes me wonder in that environment, or if it was NEMA class one div, div one for that type of environment. That would, yeah, just thinking out loud. National Electrical Manufacturing Association code. Oh, here it is. Uh, what what Copia is going to use the money for? So, Copia Automation will use these investments to scale its sales and marketing efforts to continue to enhance the core and 
continue to enhance the core capabilities of its products available as both cloud and on-prem solution. Copia's team and, enter team and enterprise plans are available on a free 14-day trial. Um, and they're a supporter of the community too. So um, it would be cool to have them on the podcast at some point. Or maybe come on our, one of our mentorship calls. Lee Taylor, work in water industry, hundreds of very similar assets at, at sites. Nice. Yeah. That's that's where I learned how to PLC program was in a water distribution control system. Really fun. It was like a 14 PLC system. Had like, uh, you know, maybe six or seven production wells. Had like two main reservoirs. Um, and then had a little treatment plant. So I did that. They went from basically operating by hand. Like they would literally like just send out the technician, go turn on the well, like drive across the town, turn on the well. And then by the time I was done with implement, integrating that system, they control it all via SCADA. Um, it was actually a Wonderwear SCADA, but you know they could. We put in the radio network, put in the PLC controllers, put in the um, you know the servers. I built wow. built most of the screens, and they could just do everything. <laughs> like that was pretty amazing to see them transform like that. You know they were they were like stoked, and even like automated. Like they used to just have to like calculate. Okay, like. They'd look out, they'd look out their window and they'd see the sight gauge on the reservoir. Oh, the reservoir is at eight feet. Like we need to, we need to go kick on probably another well or something. And then they'd come in in the morning. Okay. It's at 12 feet. Like let's turn it off now. And then all of that was actually just automated. So they would just set set points. And then, you know, this is like basic automation one-on-one, but it was, it's pretty cool, you know, cause like, you know, I had to organize like how, how does the PLCs get that data, right? They have to, they were messaging each other. So even if SCADA, you know, turned off, the PLCs would send the packets of information to one another. So that way the wells knew what the level of like all the remote assets would know the, the way their main reservoir was, was kind of like at their central headquarters. Um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty sick little system. Yeah. Lee Taylor, that's how yeah. he started. Um, was that hub and spoke architecture for that many different distinct areas where you were at throughout the city? Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, they had a one sort of one main omni and directional antenna. I think one of the sites we actually ended up having to use a VPN because mm. it didn't get quite, it was actually like a big radio tower there. So there was a lot of interference and, uh, but most of the other sites they just used, uh, we use the 900 megahertz, uh, MDS radios. And then, um, this was Alan Bradley Micrologics controllers, Micrologics 1100s, super easy to program, but, um, you know, they don't really have any modularity or reuse like the RS logics, 5,000s, like control logics or compact logics. So like, I remember as I was building it, I, I had the well template and then every time I would sort of update it, this is where like Excel really came in is like, I, I, I would, uh, I'd have to go apply all those change. This is the DevOps thing, right? I'd have to go apply all those changes to all of the other PLCs. So that way I knew that this, this section of ladder logic was the same well template for every, for every well out there. Right. Um, Copia would have been perfect for that. Right. Um, or even, you know, the step above, like in between, if, even if I just had like RS Logics 5000 and like control compact lo compact logics, so I could use like a, a well UDT or a well function block, then I could just, all right, upload this well function block to all the rest of the wells. But I literally just had to like copy and paste the ladder. And I was like really meticulous about laying out the data structures. So everything, like I knew like, all right, B3 one slash one was like well running, you know? <laughs> um, and then like, you know, I had the end, end, end data table and eight slash one was like the, the level hmm. then n slash two was like the high set point slash three was the low, you know, it was like methodically laid out so I could actually start the system up. And, um, Harry Cuffey said, we deployed about nine Schneider electric M340 PLCs in the various areas. We got them talking to each other and read over SCADA using SciTech. Nice. It's pretty cool awesome. seeing the PLCs talk to each other. Like when you get, sometimes you might have to like tweak a few th settings in the message block, but once you do and you're bringing that data across, it's pretty tight to see them uh, operate so um, yeah. robustly, you know, and reliably. Like that system I put in almost a decade ago. No, yeah, it was like 2010. So like over a decade ago, it's probably still running to this day.
most definitely, you know, maybe they made some upgrades to the server or whatever, but the PLCs are for sure still running and starting and stopping, you know, multiple times a day and, you know, kicking on the well, kicking it off. And so, yeah, it's pretty fun stuff. A little nostalgic going on here. One site they used a telescope to view the remote yeah. gauge on the site. Yeah. Interesting. Heard of that before. From the 1980. Nice. Nice. All right, guys. Uh, we'll call it today. Sorry about the live stream not working as planned. Thanks for joining, Alan. Thank you all for joining today. Um, remember, subscribe to the channel. Turn on bell notifications. Join our Discord server next week. We'll have Luke, Luke Small on, uh, supply chain expert. Um, and it's going to be fun to talk to him. It's good to have him back in the Discord server and see see what he's up to. Um, you know, if you haven't already watched the watched the Luke Small episode from from last year, this is one of the best ones that we did. And uh, you know, right up there with like Rick Bellotta and Sandy Monroe interview is the Luke Small interview. Um, so yeah, see you guys next week, Thanks or again. see you guys on Friday on the mentorship call. Bye. See ya.